So I, I listen to hundreds and hundreds of songs uh, each week. It's really hard to surprise me. And you did, man. Thanks a lot. I, well, I take that as a compliment. Thank you very much. Appreciate absolutely. That. It's it's absolutely meant that way. Just for your uh, your comfort level, the video is just for our, our back and forth here with the interview. Oh. This will be an audio okay. interview. So. Oh, um, great. Okay. Yeah. If, cool. uh, if, if a pterodactyl flies through the room behind you, well, you know what? I, I would use that. I would, I would put that video up, but. Yeah, I got a pterodactyl. Uh, tied up in the back bedroom actually because uh, she gets she gets a little crazy mid-afternoon <laughs> so uh you know it's gonna I don't, I don't want her to interfere with the interview at all so as, hopefully we don't see a pterodactyl but you know as long as long as it's tied I, up I, I just close the door <laughs> <laughs> so here we go on this episode of playtime the words and music of experimental vocalist and saxophone composer bruce lamont i'm your host wc turk Bruce okay. Lamont is perhaps best known for his work portraying Robert Plant in the Chicago-based tribute band Led Zeppelin II. But a look behind that mask reveals Lamont's exceptional experimental solo work, as well as his work with the post-punk metal band Yakuza and the underground metal band Bloodiest. There are shades of Talk Talk, Wire, Art of Noise, David Sylvain, and Kraftwerk. On Friday, January 13th and 14th, Led Zeppelin II celebrates the 50th anniversary of the release of Led Zeppelin's Houses of the Holy at Chicago's House of Blues. The band will perform the classic album in its entirety and find his solo work at brucelamont.bandcamp.com. Welcome, brother. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I, I could not find a uh, a website for you. Is there a website that, that you want to give out? You know, I don't have uh, a personal website, actually. Okay. Uh, you know, do the social medias, of course. You got Instagram and the Facebooks. And yeah, there's a band camp for the music. Mm -hmm. Yakuza has their own and Bloodiest yep. has their own. And okay, um, and all that stuff's on all, on all the streaming services and things like that. So, you know, actually, I will mention War Crime Recordings is actually a label that was founded by myself and uh, Sanford Parker, producer here in Chicago, along with uh, our friend Steve Joe is like a lot lifelong like uh, um, industry industry fellows worked for uh, a numerous labels, but we all partnered up around 2013. I've been putting out things on that my solo stuff. Actually, the, the new Yakuza coming out in 2023 mm -hmm. uh, in North America will be coming out on that label. Actually, the North American part we have a, a partner with a label called Spark doing it for the rest of the world. But yeah, so War Crime Recordings. Also, you can find that Bandcamp that has a website as well, WarCrimeRecordings.com. So great, great, great. Um, I, I have to say, I did a couple of shows this week with music legends uh, David Liebert uh, from the Happenings, yeah. and uh, he he was for people who don't know, he was the manager 
for Rare Earth and Alice Cooper and Parliament yeah. Funkadelic Delic <laughs> with dozens of, uh, of platinum and gold records on the wall behind him and Grammy nominated John Forcoli, as we were talking about before for the show. But I I was really anticipating speaking with you, man, uh, especially your, your oh, solo thanks. work. So I'd like to delve into the solo work first um, sure. and, and your work with Yakuza and Bloodiest. Uh, and save uh, Led Zeppelin II for, for last, if that's all right. Perfect. No problem. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I've read that you've been called an experimental vocalist and saxophonist. I think that description falls a little bit short. I've been leaning towards soundscape composer. Oh, it, it sounds nice. Thank you. Um, I, I honestly, I mean, for my, I mean, obviously, it's my work. And I don't, I don't really put it in any one sort of like you know box or genre or, or anything. Like yeah, that. I, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure I, that's kind of the same. I'm sure a lot of people say that kind of stuff when people ask what it is. You know, I, I it, it is a lot of soundscape stuff, and it is yeah. very uh, emotive and in, in the intention. So. Uh, yeah, I utilize the saxophone. I utilize voices. I'm, I mean, it's I use loopers, uh, some noise, uh, and yeah, pretty much. And, and you know, I've always, I've, when it comes down to like what I like to listen to, I really like things that have like sort of extreme dynamics. Mm -hmm. You know, what I mean, you know, obviously a band like Pink Floyd is a perfect example of someone that that they could really do. You know, they could really take it places. You know, and, yeah. and uh, an album is a journey. And that's kind of the way I, I think about the solo stuff is that. And I, when I, and I, when I say extreme dynamics, I mean, very extreme. I mean, pin drop. I tell this to sound people when I'm like do, running through sound check. I'm like, look, literally it will be, you know, I have a small set of bells that I'll use. It'll be mm -hmm, that quiet. Mm -hmm. And then it'll be like this. And I'll, I'll hit one of my loops that I have that's built up. That is literally, I'm trying to blow the power amps and say the empty bottle or someplace. And they're like, Oh, okay. I'm like that. I'm just trying to give you the, the range of where, where it's going to go. And then, that kind of work in the middle of that, you know, work, work within that, you know, there's, there's some exceptional um, sound design on, on your records that that's so, so very, very important, but, but such a rare commodity, uh, especially for local Chicago music. Al Rose uh, is, is a dear, dear friend, uh, Anna Soltis, uh, who has a band called the familiar and she does a, uh, a, a dream pop band. Uh, with a guy named Mickey Kellerman, they concentrate very strongly on those those subtle undertones and those little accents as you do. That's a rare quality, man. Uh, songs like Disgruntled Employer uh, off of your 2011 album, Feral Songs for the Epic Decline.
what defines the journey, the musical journey of music uh, of Bruce Lamont? Hmm. What defines the musical journey? It, like I said, I like to. I again, it's it's it's. Well, I can tell you where it started. Yeah. Is it came from some ideas that didn't quite fit, which is shocking to say, into what yeah. we do in Yakuza, uh-huh. and the back in this goes even back to like 2005 and six. So I just kind of started to work on things on my, on my own. And basically it was like, I, I really like taking a very simple melody yeah, or, or, a, or one simple either tone sound, whatever, and then try to build on that. Not so much stack on top of it, but build, build off of that, you uh-huh, know, uh-huh. start, start, simple, keep it simple, start simple, and then see where it goes. And in the early days, um, it was all improvisation. There was no, there was nothing thought out before I would perform. Wow! And then as I started to kind of hear some things I was doing, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to take that little nugget right there. And I'm going to go back to that and try to see if I can actually create something out of that. You know, mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. still with, with, with the mindset of like a simple melody, a single tone, whatever, you know, and, and just be honest with it, you know, and just see where, where it, it takes me, you know I mean? In a sense. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that's kind of the basis, I guess, for it all. With with that same with the same ideal of like some of it's going to be loud, harsh, disturbing. Other of it's going to be subtle, quiet. I'm going to wear my heart on my sleeve, you know, yeah, kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah, you know, and, and and not be afraid to do that, you know. And and that's tough. It's taken a lot of years to 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 get to that point, you know. I, so I think a good a really good example of that is uh, Feral Songs has this dark gothic feel, but I found layering those those simple or mainstream melodies over over these uncomfortable rhythms that you that you expertly craft with noise or 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 traditional instruments is really interesting and and sort of paradigm shattering i think the piece one who stands on on the earth in particular is a great example of that from the one who stands Thanks. That was uh that was probably the last thing I wrote for that record. The really? first, the, the yeah, the, the backstory is the the back end of that full length I had done in like around 2007. Yeah. And I was I kind of would like I would bring it to shows. I I might sell it, I might just give it away. I didn't really care. I just want people to check it out. Yeah. Um and I but I always felt it was incomplete and I started to put so then the the front half is one who stands on the earth, the epic decline, and uh, year without summer. Year without summer, I was kind of toying with right around the time 
that I had those four songs in the can. That was the first one. One Who Stands on the Earth. It's the first song, but it's also the centerpiece of the entire record, honestly. I mean, it, that's, it, it kind of all came together on that one track. I know it's mm-hmm. long. It's 11, 12 minutes. And like, but that was the one. And then I was like, okay, we're now, now this record's finished. <laughs> you know, like that was, that was the thing. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that album with that in mind, that that's the centerpiece of the album. Deconstructing self-destruction starts off with this noir. Again, that those, those simple, those simple melodies, this noir spaghetti Western style guitar line yeah. uh, and devolves into this manic wall of noise that just just erupts through the end of the song. thoughts about how that song came together for you guitar line and you know i've heard the word i've heard the term spaghetti western a couple of a couple of times when that when that and other things are described and that's totally cool you know i yeah. kind of i had to kind of like look that up and look into <laughs> some history behind it because honestly for me it was always like like the guitar sounds that i like mm-hmm. um go back to classic old rock and 50s yeah. rock and roll stuff i I, th- yeah. I think like you know you know not, I mean, Dick Dale, but that wasn't exactly who I was thinking of right then. But anyway, classic rock and roll guitar sound. Uh, you got some tremolo, and mm-hmm. it's usually, I, I actually have a hollow body guitar that I use, and like, I just really dig that sound, but I don't want to write those kinds of songs. So I just borrow a little of that, of, of that sound, and I was like, what can I do with this? So I had this little melody, and I'm like, I really want to like turn this on its own head. So I like, mm-hmm. I literally was like, what can be, what, what would be the, the, the extreme opposite of this mm-hmm. like kind of pretty fun melody that you can follow along with. Oh, well it built into that. It built into this wall of chaos. And the funny thing is, is at the end of that track or towards the end of that track, uh, you hear a lot of like, uh, like start, stop skipping happening. It was like, the idea behind it's all, it's all found sounds. The idea became, came from, I had a Dillinger escape plan CD in a player in my bathroom that would constantly catch and skip on this one part. And mm-hmm. I just kept hearing this like herky jerk, like, I mean, that band's already herky jerky enough, but let alone <laughs> now the CD's skipping all weird. And I was like, I love the sound of that. I was like, Oh uh, man, how do I, how do I use that for something? And Sanford Parker and I were in the studio. We were kind of, he helped me build that, that track and we were going through it. And I was like, can we try something? And I, I described it to him. I was like, man, I have this, Dillinger CD caught my CD player that's like skips all the time. <laughs> I want to kind of like recreate that sound in some way. And he goes, let's try this. And, you know, it took the pro tools and we just like snipped out certain sections and, wow. you know, he ran through, he's like, like this. And I went, 
that's good. Pull it tighter. And then we just like started to play with it. And it just, it, it added even more chaos at the end of there. It's just, it's completely like jarring and, 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 you know, it, it, it kind of just kind of fucks with the, I wasn't trying to fuck with the listener purposely, yeah. but that's what it does, you know? And obviously at the end of that track, it just kind of like, we used a, uh, um, some kind of like, it was like a oscillating filter thing. Uh-huh. So it just kind of create that swish sound. And, and again, go into this extreme of like a very quiet acoustic guitar for the next song uh, to, uh, two into three. What the hell is that? I call that song now. Two, two, two into three, or whatever the hell the last song is on the record. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't played that record in a long time, so I, I forgot. I forget the titles of my own. Yeah, then two into three. Songs. That uh, yeah, yeah, which which you that two, then which three, you yeah, hit yeah. us. You hit us with with that. It's this dreamy melodic dance between uh, the acoustic guitar and the saxophone. Even the the lyric uh, "Dream Tonight" evokes yeah. evokes that aural imagery it's 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 but it's such a dramatic turn from deconstructing self-destruction music when we were talking about um about the guitar sound mm-hmm. you don't write traditional music what why not i'm looking for you making a case for pushing the envelope of musical yeah. art it's exactly what it is it's it, it's it's expression it's it's yeah. it's kind of like what i like there's there's no other intention behind it than other than creating it as far as playing traditional music yeah. Uh, I have a, I have a, I have a day job called Led Zeppelin two, uh-huh. and uh, and I that suits it just fine. I've never had a right. whole lot of interest in anything that was uh, and and this is no slight on anybody else, just just me personally. I I, I don't want to write the next catchy whatever. It's not my. It's, I've never been interested in that. Yaku's has never been inter- interested in that. I've taken it even further with the solo mm-hmm. stuff. It's just not my. In, in, it's just not in my nature. I had a friend years ago. Uh, he plays in a band called Bad Wolves. His name is Doc Coyle. We we're in an interview, and he said the same thing. He saw Zep two a couple mm-hmm. times. He's like, dude, vocally you can do anything. Why have you never like fronted like a like a pop metal band or something that you know just really like cash in or whatever? And I'm like, I don't have. I'm just not interested. You know, what yeah. I mean, like, sure, I'll take the money, but you know, I mean, like, I, it's it's just not what I wake up and think about. You know, uh, when going to like the creative stuff. That to that to me is like far more important. But and but like you said, then, can do but, it. That that's that's very evident in in some in some of the in some of the riffs and and, and melodies that you that you apply to this this artistic venture. 
that I think is the power of your music is that you can do that. You choose not to, and you choose yeah. to, you choose to push that envelope. Yeah. From, I mean, obviously for myself yeah. more than anything, but you know, at the end of the day, I appreciate you speaking so highly of it. I'm glad. It, I mean, it, it doesn't, it was never meant to, to, to touch the world in some crazy way, but if a couple of people here and there chime in and be like, Hey, you know, I really like this. And that does happen yeah. occasionally. It's I it's it is absolutely appreciated more than ever. Of course, it's a it's a it's a nice result or like a, a result that I didn't expect to to happen when people yeah. are, are complimenting. They like it they, and they like it. That's that's awesome. You know that's, that's great. In twenty eighteen, you released "Broken Limbs Excite No Pity," the song eight ninety three off the album evoked memories of Wires, uh, nineteen eighty seven, the ideal copy, especially the song "Feed Me." uncomfortable rhythms that uh, are are a significant aspect to your uh, to your compositions that album has a really special meaning for me it took me like six years to write that uh, after I did feral songs I had you know as we all go through life and we get older we we lose people and whatnot and uh, i lost my mother in 2011 oh, i'm sorry and uh there's that's okay that's all right i mean it's it, it is life like i said uh-huh. and, uh you know it kind of went to kind of a weird uncertain dark place and yeah. the only place i know to go when those things happen is to dive into some music either listening to it or <laughs> playing it or whatever and uh so there there's a there's a lot of emotions on that record raw raw as fuck emotions you know that i Mm -hmm. i had to i had to get out 893 uh actually when i performed that live i kind of i lose a little bit on stage and i i i need it's cathartic i need i need to do it it's kind of a little little uh uh uh, purging of 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 you know those those feelings and things like that you know um that we need just because you mentioned that song so
glad you focused in on the solo stuff because that stuff is is probably you know as everything's important to me but if mm -hmm, i had to mm -hmm. choose one that's that's the most important stuff because it's 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 me you know just laying it all out there being honest and it's me alone nobody else you know what i mean so it's like i play all the stuff and all that so it's like you know there's no one there to you know back me up or take the blame if it sucks or whatever you know it's just is what it is and and i'm cool with that that's fine you know again these are these are really stunning aura landscapes that evoke really powerful visuals at least in me especially the song mclean last name yeah. and that is one of my uh it's one of my clans i'm uh, mostly scottish uh in, in in well i'm from i'm from chicago of course but uh -huh, you know uh -huh. 20 23 and me has told me that i'm uh 92 from uh mostly from between glasgow and and edinburgh and wow. uh so and somewhere uh also in like off the off the uh southern coast of england you know not quite london okay. but maybe further over but that's I'm mostly Scottish. yeah and i actually always grew up thinking i was irish and scottish and i almost have no irish at all which is oh, it's okay by me but uh yeah so i there's the clan lamont and there's the clan mclean and that's my mother's family and um it's you know i i it, I, it is for her that's all you know i traced them so, um, i traced my uh, my paternal line back to flanders in belgium to a man named uh, Pescatius Turk, who was born in 1530, who wrote the very first uh, medical book on gambling addiction in uh, 1560 or 1565, wow. something like that. Uh, That's as, cool. <laughs> as an author, that it added this sort of idea that writing was somehow in my DNA. You traced yeah. your family back to Scotland in the in the 1640s. Did I see that correctly? Yeah, actually, my yeah, my uncle, uh, my fa my father's uh, brother, is like our family historian, and uh -huh. he's uh, kept kept me up to date on uh on on, on the family history. So yeah, it, which I really appreciate. When I was a kid, it drove me crazy because it was just kind of like <laughs> pound, trying to pound into my into my head. But now that I'm getting older, yeah, you appreciate um, it more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So actually, I, I got to Scotland. Just my wife and I went just a few months ago for the first time. She it was my fiftieth birthday this year, so she bought us a trip there. And I've, I've I've toured a lot of places, but I've never been to Scotland, so we got to go. And you're a houses of the holy baby. Yeah, frighteningly amazing <laughs> uh, because I felt like I I really felt like I I had gone home. It was really it was whack. There was some there was some there was some very powerful. And again, it could be you know also yeah. within my own my own thoughts and things. But I, I felt. I felt really at home there and it was, it was great. That that was some of the, 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 
the best people I've ever met in my life. Just overall, you know, everyone from like a train conductor to a, you know, a, an older fella at a, at a pub, you know, it was like, everyone was just rad wow, and just and, and amazing. And just, you know, just good conversation and just good people. And a, a very dear friend of mine, a, a New York comic, Lauren LeJudice, um, is uh, uh, she may be coming to Chicago with a uh, with a, with a show that uh, that she's been selling out called uh, Ancestry Comedy. She found out just just several months before before uh, writing the show that she was a sperm donor baby, and Whoa. that her parents never told her. She met her her birth father. They they were immediately familiar with one another. They had the same body type and the same personality the same quirks and and i i've been to europe many many times in germany and and uh i've been through belgium but i've never that was before i i knew my ancestry there and i i had yeah. a sense of familiarity being there and and yeah so i and and i i fully believe that 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 transfer rna that is passed on through us via the generations is, is sure. a very real is a very real aspect and we we can have those memories about a place we've never been to uh, it, it's it's in our it's in our dna's uh, I, I guess yeah. Is, yeah. yeah 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 i i i'm with you on that for sure so that's that, that's really awesome what um, so so yeah. what does that that knowledge and that experience and that background mean for your music or your artistic uh, journey it kind of reaffirms that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, and I, yeah. and you know, every once in a while you, you need a little of that, you know, sometimes you, you veer a little bit off the path and you uh -huh. know, what the hell am I doing with this crap? And uh, for a variety of reasons. And then, you know, it just kind of writes the ship and you're like, no, 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 <laughs> just t take a breath. It's okay. You know, the rent will get paid. You're fine. You know, any, any music, any musicians in your, in your family or your your heritage that you know my father's mother my grandmother on the lamont side uh, -huh. uh played uh -huh. played, pian played piano by ear and she still tells me uh -huh. the story to this day that uh her she's also from illinois and chicago and yeah. her her father was like a preacher who owned a, a farm and they lived on that and she was she got asked to go on tour with this band this is like mm -hmm. i mean 80 years ago Mm -hmm. uh jazz band and she was debating on going or not and wow. her father was like if you if you leave that's more that's it we're done like family's over and you know obviously i thanked her for not going on tour because i i mean my my father would have never been born and i would have never been born and my <laughs> sisters would have never been born so you know i thanked her for that when she was still alive but you know that was kind of nice to see but besides that and my youngest sister that's it I mean, we don't really have any like musical background. My my uncle that I mentioned did some. Uh, he's he's got a great radio voice, so he he uh, <laughs> he re, he he's. Uh, I've got what station it is, but he does uh, reading for the blind, you know. And uh, he's done some voice acting work and some and some stage acting work for that matter. So wow. we have there. Yeah, so there's some theater in there, but not not music, you know. And it's funny because uh, he came to see Yakuza one time, and it was like almost too much for him. Uh, but he did bring a, a, a photo of my grandma with them to, just to let me know that, you know, his mother, <laughs> my grandmother was there supporting. And then I was like, you know, you might like this. So I gave him a copy of Feral Songs when it came out, him, he and my aunt. And they're pretty, you know, they live up in Rogers Park. They're both re like retired teachers. My neighborhood. They, they know yeah. What, yeah, yeah, they're they're cool folk. They know what's up. 
And I figured, you know, they're, they're, they like art and whatnot. And, they, and all he said was they listened to the entire record. He goes afterwards, he, he's like, so uh, we listened to your album. And uh, Gail and I, his, his, his wife, he goes, we agree. Um, you, uh, you really do something very different. And uh, she's <laughs> like, yeah, we've never heard anything like that before. And I'm like, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, one of a like, kind, man. It it, it it was intense and i was like and that, you know what i took all those as compliments but i think you try yeah. to say like i don't get it i don't get it i'm like that's okay you don't have to get it i mean no one has to get it it's like you know just mm -hmm. i'm glad you took took the time out to check it out but it was just it was funny that you know i firmly believe that a lot of those talents sort of sort of are, are also in our in our dna uh chris and Pelletieri, the heavy metal guitarist we had a conversation and as part of the con as part of the research for him because he uh, his parents died when he was when he was a a young child and he was raised by his grandparents who had who had no um who had no musical affinity i guess and i was curious about the the impelitary name so i did a little bit of ancestry research come to find out that all of the impelitaries that came from from italy at the beginning of the of the 20th century, half the males in that family made their living right off the boat by playing music. Wow. Something something he never knew. But huh. but I, I, I fully believe that that heritage carried over. Yeah. You uh you use negative space beautifully. At one point uh in the beginning of the song Neither Spare Nor Dispose, uh you lead us into silence for seven heart-wrenching beats. Uh, I counted them. Uh, creaking doors and other noises that deepen that that unsettledness, and with with almost these tribal vocals that are that are simply haunting. Man, um, I, I'd love I'd love to know how that song came together for you. The bass, the acoustic track that I play, is kind of the basis for it all. Um, yeah. That that creaking door was actually the chair I was sitting in when I was playing it, and I got picked up on the mic oh, while gosh. we were recording it, uh -huh. and we were actually going to recut it. And I go, wait, play it again, and I listened back. I'm like, no, keep leave that in there, and so we left it in there purposely, of course. Yeah, just started there and just kind of mm -hmm. built on it, and you know, I I still do like having some sort of uh, of an improvisational element and everything. So I think the vocals I might have just that I don't say wung it. I had I had intention, but. Definitely, like you know, one take yeah. might have been, or maybe one take, and then, like I said, I work with Stanford all the time. He, mm -hmm. he and I work mm -hmm. together really well, and he might have been mm -hmm. like, "That was cool. Just can you execute it a little better?" And I'll be like, "Sure." And then at least I'm like, "Okay, I'm I'm on the right path, and I'll go that way." That's that's kind of what I recall. That the, that, by the way, uh, is is expert improvisation. We've had we've had improvisation bands on on the radio show. I have a dear dear friend uh, who was an improvisation band, and I, I did briefly. Uh, I did a radio show with Sid Yiddish, who was all about improv oh, yeah. and, and noise music. A great improvisational actor or musician is is a rare is a is a rarity, and and to recognize the those those sort of odd moments like a creaking chair belies the expertise of of your craft man let's take it it's it's been a, it's been a long journey and i'm still i'm still working on it so you know it's okay. never it's never a, a, a you know 
Yeah. I don't ever look at it as being as being finished. You know, it'll be finished when, I, when you and I aren't speaking together anymore because we physically because I can't physically speak to you anymore. <laughs> but otherwise, no, I think it's like it's a it's a lifelong journey too, and that's it goes for all the music that yeah. that I'm involved in. Is like I don't look at it as like being dated or whatever. It's like look, it's just going to go and go and go until no, it's sort of like a musical collage. I recently I recently jumped head and shoulders into into uh, visual collages, and there's there's an expertise that's necessary in 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 building these disparate influences instead of instead of just composing on a canvas or a piece of paper or uh, or a board, but pulling all of these already existing influences in into that collage. There's an an expertise. There's a craft. There's a vision that's necessary, and that can go very very wrong. And and I've got many many examples of of when it did that I've I've just tossed. But when it when it goes right, it's spot on, and, and you're you're doing it, man. It took a lot of years. I mean, like I was, it was a lot of years of trial trial and error as well, too. You know, yeah, and yeah. a lot of a lot a lot of listening. You know, I mean, this was like, you know, been a, a lifelong fan of music. But let's go back to like I worked at a record store in the late '80s, early '90s, uh-huh. and when I got there, I was like, you know, kind of like the death metal kid. <laughs> And yeah, within yeah. a couple of within a couple of months, I was just speaking with a friend about this the other day. We worked at this independent store on the Burbs, and the beauty of that place was like, you know, I got there and I was a big fan of like, say, I worked at a candy store, so mm-hmm. I'm the heavy metal guy. I loved jelly beans, and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, jelly beans are great, but have you ever tried this Belgian chocolate, which is like, you know, I don't know, fucking some like the cure for that matter, like not even going, not even right. going that far away, but like the cure or. We were listening. I was. I just began to listen to all kinds of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I went from The Cure, Ramones, Buck Owens. You know, just went all over the place. You know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until about '92 when I really got into like jazz and improvisational music, which led me to, you know, finding the jazz in town here, which yeah. was at the empty. You know, there was a lot of stuff all over the place. But the one place I hit a lot was Empty Bottle because uh-huh. Van and Mark Five would play there every Tuesday. They also had, uh, they would bring over European players on the Wednesdays. On top of that, all of a sudden, someone's like, blah, 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 blah. You ever been to the Velvet Lounge before? I'm like, Velvet Lounge? What's that? Brad Anderson's place, the, the, the OG one, you know, 1996. So, you know, I go see the DKV trio with Fred Anderson, who's mm-hmm. a fucking monster, along with Hami Drake, Ken Kessler, Ken Vandermark, you know, who, and I, I'm watching, all it was is improvisation happening, like two sets of it. And I was like, what in the fuck, what are these guys doing? You know? Yeah, yeah. And it, it blew my mind and I didn't, I, I wanted to understand it, but it, it's very hard to, <laughs> to verbalize how that works, you know? Mm-hmm. But I did, I did befriend Ken and um, he took me on as a student for a little while. And mm-hmm. then we became friends. We've been, we've been friends for, you know, 25 years, you know, going to see him, going to see players like him. I would just, just listen, you know mm-hmm. I mean? And just kind of like, pay attention to where people were going with these different ideas. If they had a melody and then they, a lot of jazz will start on, you know, some kind of a basic melody and then they'll, they'll improv off yeah. that melody or whatever, you know, and I would just pay attention to those kinds of things, you know? And so I still do, you know I mean? I still listen to things like that. And, huh? you know, and then, and from there it was like, Oh, well, why does it just have to be the music in the room? What else is going on? You know, like some people get really bummed out at shows. If like the air, if they're playing very quietly, like the air conditioning's on. Well, I actually listen to the air conditioner because I'm I'm wondering <laughs> like what's go- what's going on with that air conditioner or like the, the apartment I live in. I'm down on the south side. We have radiator heaters here. Uh-huh. Literally, uh-huh. they they kick they kick on every once in a while, and I hear dripping water. 
And then I'll, I might, in my head, I might hear a pattern all of a sudden. I'm like, is somebody, uh, you know, either banging like in time on this radiator, like, gink, 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 gink. And then I hear trip, 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 trip. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck is going on? And then I'm like, oh, no, no, no. It's just, it's just kicking on. Okay, fine. But, uh, but I'm still paying attention to that kind of stuff. And you know what? It's just years of that, that kind of thinking, I guess, has got me to where I am now. <laughs> well, know? I mean, I, I think for, I think for, for people who, um, who maybe need need a shove uh, or a nudge towards towards your music bands like Grateful Dead and the band were all about improv in their sets. Yep. Uh, the Allman yep. Brothers were you know were yep. were riffing and and improving um, yep. for forever. I, I'm working on a book just about done with it. Last the last chapter here on on the uh, on the Renaissance, but it it starts at the beginning of the universe. It's called the History of Light for the Artist. And I talk about the the ascension of these cultural steps that yeah. that actually guided our evolution um, much stronger and much uh, and much faster than and you you can you can follow the those steps as they get closer and closer together um, through history than Darwinian evolution or, or, sure. uh, biological evolution. But one of the things I talk about is music and the confluence of, of storytelling and storytelling traditions and music and a lot of, uh, leaning heavily on, on indigenous, um, and African style music. There is that, that improv and those uncomfortable rhythms, but, I say in the book, I argue in the book that those rhythms are natural and innate and come from the world around us. Back then when yep. we were on the savanna, it was the wind through the grass and the leaves and this, uh, all, all the, yep. the thunder and rain. You're just doing that in a contemporary sense, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I feel like I just had this conversation with somebody the other day because they were like, <laughs> someone was like, you know, I, I can't even fathom how Mozart was able to come up with this. I, and now that's that, that's some seriously complex compositions, but yeah. where did all that come from? And the first thing I said was, I go, well, maybe just his surroundings. And they're like, well, he couldn't put all of that together. I'm like, I'm not saying he put all of it together. He just pieced it together from things that he heard from this, this, yeah. this, whatever. We don't, we'll never be able to know. And Mozart is eminently hummable. At, you know? Right, exactly, totally. It, yeah, it's it's very, yeah, it's very, very, yeah, melodic or catchy for that matter for that yeah. for that kind of music. Oh, you, yeah. it's 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 memorable for sure. And I'm not even I'm not even an expert on anything classical at all. That's a a, a, a genre. I plus I, I hate the ideas of genres, but I I I have, I sorely lack uh, exposure to that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. I've had a few friends like try to you know pick my brain. He's like, do you like Mahler? And I'm like, who's Mahler? And he's like, you. You have to hear Mahler, and you know he he would show up at a show with an LP and be like, "I brought this for you, check it out." And I heard it, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, this is amazing!" Like you know, like it's just it's great stuff. And but uh -huh, uh -huh. again, like I said, I, I I really do I I need to listen to more of that. You know, I like I like listening to everything. So it's like you know, <laughs> there you go, there you go, good man, good yeah, man. Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. in in the introduction, I I referenced David Sylvain, which I think. At least for me, um, being a being a David Sylvain and, and Japan fan, comes across strongly in Moonlight and the Sea.
this settled vocal piece after the pure abstraction of of a song like Crystal Effect. It was a magical transcendent moment for me musically. That's again, I'm I'm humbled by your by your words, you know. Uh we have to mention Yakuza, yeah. which we've we've kind of been teasing oh. here a little bit. Um what sure. does what does that band dynamic uh, accomplished for you musically and personally? It probably goes all the way back to the beginning of that band, which has now been 22 years. I was kind of having a, I, I felt like I was living a, a, a dual life of being in love with improvisational music and a newfound interest in heavy stuff. Cause I was, like I said, I was like a death metal kid mm-hmm. and I kind of grew out. I kind of grew out of that a little bit for a variety of reasons, but in the later nineties, all of a sudden, I, you know, from from various sources, I started to hear some bands that I thought were doing things a little more interesting than stuff that I was hearing back in the late eighties and early nineties. It was a little more complex, uh, a little more, a little more unique. Uh, sometimes there was some serious emotion. Um, the bands I'm thinking of are like, I heard Mashuga from Sweden. We're doing this very like polyrhythmic stuff. I had yeah. never heard a band pull off that kind of stuff before mm-hmm. um there's a band for, there was a band from brooklyn new york called candiria and they kind of fused elements of like like jazz fusion with some metal and even a little bit of hip-hop but not in like a new metal sense you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and uh, i thought that was really interesting too and then the other band that had a, a really big uh impact on me and ended up becoming part of my history in playing and stuff with a band called Neurosis of San Francisco. Not only sonically were they huge, they, again, if you listen to like, I, I just liked everything about them musically, as well as how they, how they, they did everything pretty much DIY. Steve Ontill and Scott Kelly would record, record solo albums that were like almost folky, you know, and then they had this like uh, improvisational side project called Tribes of Neurot. That was just basically them just, you know, like I said, experimenting on stage and whatever. And I thought all that was fucking brilliant. And I loved, I loved the songs that they wrote in the roses. Like they were long, they were epic, you know, and uh, you know, they had a, a huge impact on me. And it wasn't until 2005 or six when I crossed paths with Scott Kelly and we played a show together and uh, we totally hit it off and became friendly. And years later, we ended up forming a band called Corrections House. And it was, it was a short lived band. It was rolling around for a couple of, couple of albums, but it's Scott Kelly Mike Nine Williams from I Hate God, Sanford Parker, and myself, and mm-hmm. it was mostly mostly electronic based, um, with some very heavy guitars. Mike Mike has a as a as a really unique way with words, and I was playing sax and you know experimenting with that sound yeah. for that band and things like that. So I mean, I, I hear a lot of your sound in the song uh, Chicago Type Ring.
uh, around late 1999, I had played in like heavier rock bands, but I'd kind of stepped away from that for a while. I was playing more sax. I was in bands playing sax, whatever. And I was like, you know, I kind of want to get back into something unique and heavy. Um, so I was like, where do I look? And I had never done this before, but I took an ad out in the reader. I'd taken, that's the only one and the only time I ever did. And at the same time I saw this ad, but it didn't really like tickle my fancy. They were like, Hey, we like tool and we like Slayer. And I'm like, nah, okay, I, I don't, don't dislike those bands, but I was like, I don't want to join this band. So I put up an, I put up an, you know, I'm like, Hey, vocalist available. I've been listening to, and I named those three bands, Candiria, Meshuggah, Neurosis. Mm -hmm. And I said, play, play other instruments preferred just to sing. And the third call I got was this guy named Eric Plunka, who was the original guitar player from Yakuza. And he's like, Hey, we have a band. We've got a bunch of songs. We don't, we've been trying out vocalists. It's not really working out. You interested? I was like, I'll come down. Sure. And I get down there. And not only do I instantly recognize pretty much everybody in the band, but especially Jim Staffel, the drummer, him and I have known each other since we were like 16, 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because somebody in the room was like, oh, this guy Bruce is coming. And he's like, I wonder. And sure enough, I'd been out, I'd been out of the scene for a few years. I hadn't been playing and stuff and, and that kind of thing. And I walked in the door and he's like, Bruce Lamont, motherfucker. And I'm like, Jim Staffel, what's up? And we're <laughs> shooting the shit and whatever. And they had actually, they had actually accidentally booked two of us to come the same day to check out the band. And this, it was a younger kid with his dad, the manager. So we sat there and they're like, okay, we're going to play these songs for you. And I couldn't believe what they were playing for me because it was everything that I had hoped for times 20. It was, they were turning around on, on the one beat, like insane. There was polyrhythms wow. going on. There's, it was heavy. It was unique. I was like, holy shit and i was like <laughs> well first thing i was like i have to i have to be in this band i remember i'm like looking at the kid and i'm like using my mind beaming at him going no way dude you are not getting in this band i have to be in this band and then <laughs> i did i got in a band just as a vocalist and then while we're there i had i i kind of confessed that i also love this other kind of music this improvisational jazz mm -hmm. stuff and one, one of them is like yo you play sax and i was like I do. And they're like, what kind of sax? I'm like, which one do you want? I have tenor, I have soprano, and I have alto at the time. And they're yeah. like, well, honestly, well, John Zorn plays the, the alto. And I'm like, I'm not going down that road. So I'm like, I got an idea. So I brought the tenor down and, you know, it took a number of months, but it worked. And I was able to kind of bring those two worlds together, you know, wow. in one band. And it was perfect. You what, know? Was the, and, um, what was the, what was the first, first instrument you, you ever picked up? Uh, does uh, like the recorder count in music class sure it does like that kind of sure that was the sure first thing but but i did join the string orchestra when i was in third grade so i played viola for a year okay. and then in fourth in fourth grade i was allowed to join the concert band which is what i wanted to get into in the first place mm -hmm. and that's when i started the tenor saxophone not even the alto i couldn't produce the tone on the alto but i made a i i was able to produce the tone on uh on the tenor i was mm -hmm. 10 years old it was huge on me like i was a little 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 nerd and uh, yeah, and that's it. Uh, there were acoustic guitars given to me by various family friends and things. Yeah. So they were around half the time I broke the strings off them and like would pour Aquanet all over them and light them on fire thinking, you know, like, like a Hendrix situation uh -huh. you know, just, instead of actually playing them, you know, because <laughs> I, I was a young idiot. What, what sound or what influence or, or what happened that, that, made you choose the direction the musical direction that you chose as opposed to something more mainstream you remember you know that moment 
I mean, this might go all the way back to, I mentioned that I worked at this record store where I mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. got, got like just, it was almost like an education and all these different styles of music at the same time. Yeah, but yeah. E- even before that, man, <laughs> it kind of goes back. This, this is pretty funny. It goes back to uh, one particular album that I bought and what, not just the music, but the impact mm-hmm. of the, the what, what was behind it, and it was Master of Puppets by Metallica. And what the, what behind what what was behind it that really got me going was I was reading through the liner notes about all the bands that they thanked, and I was like, who in the hell is Laz Rocket? Who is Exodus? And what it, and what it what it represented is there was an, another scene other than things that people saw in the mainstream. There was an underground, mm-hmm. and that's where that's where it started for me. And I just never looked back. I don't listen to a lot of mainstream jazz. I yeah. went to the underground. I ended up working. I still work for 19 years. I'm still an employee for 69 Center slash The Empty Bottle. You know, what I mean, like that was the that was the underground club. And I was I was drawn to that club. I was drawn to lounge acts. Like I just loved this this like I don't know. It was like a secret society of of yeah, creative yeah. musicians and. And, you know, I just went from there and like, I mean, I can, we can go on for days, you know, and like yeah. thrill jockey bands. I, I, I obviously love tortoise. Now I've got to know all those guys really well. Mm-hmm. So like that to me is a really, a very uh, influential creative band mm-hmm. that does really interesting things. And uh, that's, that's it. You know, that's honestly what's driven me. You mentioned polyphonic melodies and yeah. I can't think of, of a better Polyphony began began with with the with the the Gregorian chants and, yep. and they they started they began adding um, adding a higher octave register for for the singers and and then they they also added a a drone sound. Yep. The tenor sax is ideal for for that drone sound. So you you get that you, you sort of get that that bass sound um with 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 the drone through the sax but you can you can take it so many directions from there which you do i've heard of that as well you know yeah. i've heard those i've heard those drone sounds on so many different you know from from a variety of sources and uh-huh. yeah i heard i heard that same the the range of the tenor i heard that in in, in multiple spots and i was like that is the main instrument that i use that's interesting mm-hmm. that you focus mm-hmm. on that and that's that's the one that i go to first when I, when I'm building those kinds of drones, I mean, mm-hmm. the Barry's fun, the baritone's fun too, because you can really get some guttural stuff. The tenors kind of like where my ear lives, you know, I have to mention uh, a brain tentacles. Uh, your sex oh, cool. adds a powerful apocalyptic undertone reminiscent uh, to uh, of morphine. I, I, I heard, heard some, some morphine in there. Um, cool. And I'm thinking about the sadist.
it's funny that you mentioned brain tentacles because a week and a half ago, for the first time in five and a half years, the drummer Dave Woody and I got into a room in Richmond, Virginia, where he lives. I was we were going to visit uh-huh. side story with my wife and I were going to visit family for Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. We were talking. We've been trying to get together for years. It's been difficult. He's in a band called Musical Waste. He's on tour a lot. COVID, blah, 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 blah. Five years later, we got into a room and it was the first time that he and I started working on stuff. And it took, I, I've already said this to more than one person, it took 12 minutes for him and I to be in a room and instantly start collaborating, creating things. Yeah, yep. yeah. I have, I have, I have two hours of recorded stuff on my phone just from us riffing. And that's how the status came about. That's how all of the brand tentacles came about. Do not lose that. Major- phone. Major- majority. No, I won't. I, I backed all that <laughs> stuff up. That's the basis for most of that. Uh, Aaron Dollison came in later as a bass player, also brought some melodies to kind of finish uh-huh. out our stuff. But, but the core sound of that band is Dave and I, and, um, that's that's where that stuff came from now funny the sound of the saxophone came from a happy accident while i was playing a solo set one time uh, i had a baritone saxophone i was doing some drones uh-huh. and i have this look i use this uh um effects box called a tc helicon voice live touch and it uh-huh. has a, a harmonizer and a chorus effect on it and you use your you use your fingers to move most i mean i have a, I have a midi foot switch but it only does a couple of things Mm-hmm. But I had to like, I had to trigger one thing with a finger, but I'm still playing the sax. So I've got a loop going. I'm wow. playing. I I meant to hit like this delay thing, but I must have like scrolled my finger down or two fingers down, but I hit the harmonizer and the chorus at the exact same time. And the sound it made was that sound. It was bananas. It was like, yeah. and I went, what the, and I just did it again. And I did it again. And I started to loop that. And I was like thinking about it. And after the show, there's a there's a, a writer for the reader who's been a longtime friend, Monica Kendrick, and she was at that show. Uh-huh. And and she's like, dude, you make that that's that sax sound so fucking wicked. And I went, <laughs> Oh, thanks. And in my head, I'm like, I'm gonna keep that. So, you know, a year and a half later, after messing around with a little bit, Dave approached me about starting a project, long story short, and I said, you know, I have this idea. So we got in the room together and I go, What do you think of this? And I played a couple, he goes, the fuck is that? And I and I kind of I had tweaked it a little bit. I added another octave pedal to kind of beef the sound up a little bit. It was just he and I in the early days, yeah. and he couldn't believe. It. He's like, "Dude, that's the sound. That's it." So it was just sax and drums, wow. and that's it. And we actually went on tour with Mel Banana for like fifteen shows, half hour set, just trying stuff out. And it instantly, people were like, "I'd never seen people turn so fast, like like liking it, like they were wow. just into it." And I was like, "Okay, I guess we're <laughs> onto something," you know. So. That's uh so yeah and, and so t- to let you know we're back we're back we're back at it because we're gonna that band's not finished by any means so you know we're we're gonna do another record so nice nice you'll come back oh. and and talk about it uh, I, yeah I'd love I'd love oh, to talk about it a- yeah a- absolutely absolutely but the the song fruitcake uh, Mark Panic is uh, is a friend of mine I immediately took to that song because I I heard there were it evoked memories of Bone Men and Barumba. But again, again, your sax is front and center.
guy who's a drummer from a band called Keel Hall. His uh-huh. name is Will Sheriff. He is the vocalist in the be- in the beginning of that song. Uh-huh. That is from he he's a complete goof. He's a really good friend of ours. You don't say. And he, <laughs> and, yes, and uh, Dave and Aaron and myself, and we were working on some new stuff. That was one of the last songs to end up on the record, and. I think I showed them. Oh, he had come into Chicago. We were hanging out at a uh-huh, bar, and uh-huh. I took I took a video of him to send to those guys, and he just going, nye, 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 nye. You know, was just being goofy. And I played him that, and they thought that was hilarious. And they you know, ding and na, ding and na. I go, wait a second. So I on my horn, I go, and they're like, all right. And we just literally pieced yeah. it together, like just that, that's that's how it came about. So thanks, Will. He'll be on the next record for sure in some way. We'll figure out a place for him. So, you know. Nice, nice. We, we can't yeah. we can't wait to hear hear his other voices. Uh, <laughs> so the House of Blues, January 13th and 14th, Led Zeppelin yep. 4. Uh, are you playing Led Zeppelin 4 or Houses of the Holy? On the 13th, we're doing 4 in its entirety. And okay. on the 14th, we're doing Houses of the Holy. And House of the Holy is going to be So people need to go both year, nights. All, all year. Oh yeah, why not? All sure. Right. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, I just I know some folks that come down for the weekend. They stay at a hotel, and you know, they hit the Friday show, and then they run around nice. downtown Chicago, and then they come Saturday. I'm, I, you know, I'm just I'm just throwing an idea out there. Throwing an, an idea out there. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll post a few uh, a few hotel uh, links in the uh, in the notes oh, below. Well, <laughs> that'd be that'd be mighty kind of you. Thanks. There's uh there's not a bad song on either album. Um, in fact. Nope. Every song on both of those albums are are truly classic. Hey, lady, you got the love I need. Maybe more than enough. Oh, darling, 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 walk a while with me. You got so much, so much, so much. We should mention that the core of Led Zeppelin II is you, uh, as uh, as Robert Plant, uh, Greg Fundus, who does a great uh, great job on, on drums, uh, Matthew yes. uh, Longbonds, um, and Paul Camp. It's you you guys really sound very very close to to Led Zeppelin. There are a lot of Led Zeppelin tribute bands out there, a lot internationally. You guys are spot on. I, I was listening to. Uh, to a couple of a couple of tunes and uh uh and, and you just nailed it um you you said earlier that you're a uh a houses of the holy baby you were yeah you just turned 50 years old that album turns 50 years old so you would have come of come of age after uh after john bonham died and and the yep. band yep. band broke up what is it about led zeppelin that you responded to or, or what did you think maybe the first time you heard a led zeppelin song 
So the first time I heard a Led Zeppelin song, I didn't know it was Led Zeppelin because I was only maybe four or five, six years old. Okay, I was singing okay. my mother's uh, 1974 LTD. We had a little AM radio back then that mm-hmm. I I was told, and I, I vaguely remember I would constantly, I knew what station I wanted to go to, and it was WLS, AM 89, and later yeah. FM 95, and they played Modern Rock of the Day. And I vaguely remember like hearing Band on the Run. I remember hearing maybe a little later, maybe it was the FM station where I heard some mm-hmm. Billy Joel off of Glass Houses, some Fleetwood Mac here and there. But I also heard some Zeppelin because, you know, when I was about 11 or 12 years old, a friend's older sister gave a friend a cassette copy of four and brought it over to my house and we're listening to it. And I was like, Black Dog, I knew what that was. Mm-hmm. Rock and Roll, knew that, knew that song too. And Stairway. So somehow had heard those songs somewhere, maybe yeah. on WLS, maybe not. But definitely, I I I distinctly remember being like, "This is crazy." I know the I know these songs, you know. And I was only like eleven. I was also like, as I was a, I was a a, a music fanatic from out, out of the womb, pretty much. So it started there, and by the time I was about fifteen or sixteen years old, I was obsessed, yeah, you know. And yeah. also too, it was a band. My mom was like, "This is you got to remember, this is like." You know, the mid 80s and the PMRC mm-hmm. was out there mm-hmm. and a lot of those bands I liked at that time. That's scared the crap out of my mother. You know, she was like not into that stuff. She didn't want me to have those posters up. She would sometimes take my music away from me and they give it back to me. But one <laughs> of the bands that never that she was OK with because she was familiar with them was Led Zeppelin. Wow. So that catalog never got taken away out of my stash or whatever, fearing that I would start, you know, snorting crystal meth and you know <laughs> worshiping satan or something i don't know some of some of that influences uh seeped into your at least into your subconscious your creative co- subconscious sure. uh bloodiest one of the bands that you contribute to has some yeah. some really stark thematic elements very similar to led zeppelin i'm, I'm thinking of of songs like broken teeth and yeah. especially past uh pastures right yeah 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 absolutely yeah there was uh I, I I will I will freely admit this. There was there was there was a little bit of a dream in the back of my head at one point, uh, and maybe about ten years ago that we could somehow get Jimmy Page to sit in with us and oh, say like gosh. a pitchfork, like like bloodiest and Jimmy Page because I think that I think that he would kind of fit in perfectly for that kind of stuff. I mean, it's a little heavier than they they've been involved in, but I think it might be right up his alley, but you know, like I said, it was, it was a, it was a pipe dream. And I was like, ah, it's never going to happen. But, but I, I did think about that. You know, I was like, wow. So I like the meeting of the worlds. That'd be amazing, you know, but yeah, it never <laughs> happened. So, <laughs> you know, uh, Lorelai McBroom uh, is, is a very, very dear friend. She's, uh, she's the longtime backup singer for Pink Floyd on, on tour. She tours with a, uh, with a tribute band, but that was, I know. that, I know her. <laughs> Do you know yeah. Lorelai? Oh, she's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. She's going to hear this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, she know we know each other. Uh, Led Zeppelin two uh, toured with Australian Pink Floyd back oh, in yeah. 2015. We that did a was... full US US tour, and then we did some dates in 16. And we've we've all stayed friends, and uh, nice. yeah, they're great people. Yeah, and Lorelai is not only talented beyond belief also but a, an amazing human being really really sweet so yeah yeah i did meet him one time that was uh, it was pretty fun and uh in, in a good setting too it was that thalia hall when i was bartending and he came in and we we chatted for a minute and it wow. was uh, it was i had to tell him i was like you know hey yeah. you know i 
you know, he, he did his order and I was like, by the way, I hate to do this. My name is Bruce Lamont, but uh, I played a bunch of bands. But one of the bands I played in was, uh, it's called Led Zeppelin too. And he, he, uh-huh. he immediately, a quick witted guy turns around and goes, I've been known to cover a couple of your songs. And I go, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've heard that. And I walked away and I ran his card. I came back and he's laughing and he's like, can I ask you a few questions? You know, want to know if we had any albums. And I was like, why would we put albums out when you perfected it the first time <laughs> around, right. you know? Yeah, and so he that. laughed again. And he's like, you have some YouTubes. And I'm like, no, we don't have any YouTubes. And I was a little nervous. I was thinking, okay, here's the cease and desist that we've been fearing our whole lives. I go, <laughs> actually, we try to stay true to the Led, to Led Zeppelin's integrity. So I'm not quite sure. He goes, oh, so you play for free. And I go, hey, 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 hey. I got seven bands to feed, pal. I'm like, <laughs> I do not play for free. And he starts to, he's like, he's like, Bruce, I'm joking. I just want to check the band out. I said, oh, yeah, there's plenty of YouTubes out there. And he was sweet, amazing. We what a hands. great conversation. I, I think a lot yeah. of people uh, speaking with Jimmy Page would be, would would spend most of that time drooling. Yeah, he went back to his little gaggle of friends, and I knew uh, one of them, and he came over. He's like, you told him? I'm like, yeah, I had to. Come on. I'm not yeah. going to get this opportunity. Later on, he walks back by the bar, and he's like, hey, Bruce, can you tell me where the pisser's at? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's that way. So I told you know, he's like, thanks, mate. You know, I'm like, all right, thank you. You know, mm-hmm. so it was it was, well, real, it was real sweet. Yeah, yeah. Not many people can say that they uh, they showed Jimmy Page where the restroom is. And, yes, I'm grateful for, you know, <laughs> Being able to do that so that's true uh, houses of the holy was uh, was released on march 28th 1973 uh their follow-up to uh to led zeppelin 4 even though i i i think led zeppelin the the four is is an applied moniker and and something that they didn't they didn't really plan for do you have a favorite song or favorite songs off off the album and a follow-up to that is are there any songs because there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, uh tempo changes um, and there's there's a great deal of complexity in a number of those songs. Uh, yeah. Were there any songs that really kind of threw you for a loop and, and that you really had a hard time mastering? Songs that I like to play on that record are Rain Song and probably No Quarter because we mm-hmm. tend to open it up a little bit and we don't do it like... We, actually, one thing about Led Zeppelin too is we don't do things like the record. We like to have okay. some kind of you know, improvisational element. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. like you were saying about Greg Fundus is, you know, very familiar in that in that department. So is Matt Longbonds for that matter. And, you mm-hmm. know, we, we like to just it just make it a little more of a unique experience. So those songs have been cool. The song, which we we actually have rehearsal tomorrow, we have not ever done live is the crunch. homework and see how, we'll see how it goes tomorrow and, and you know usually 
everybody, you know, we all woodshed our own stuff, you know, you know, on our own with most of these tunes. And then we come together and we just kind of figure the things out. And usually it goes rather smoothly, you know, and there might be yeah. little things like, oh, we should do this this way, this way. Cool, cool, cool. But that's the only one that, I, that I'm not concerned about. It. That's just the one that's going to be the challenge and the focus for tomorrow. But uh, honestly, I like every song on that record. So nice. Uh, it's going to be fun. And four and four, we played all those songs, you know. Yeah. Robert Plant um, has has a higher register than you do as a vocalist. Do do you approach this as a theatrical event? How do you come to to that persona on stage? You just nailed it. I mean, that's exactly the way I approach yeah. it. It's definitely it's it's musical theater as far as I'm concerned because yeah. obviously not just about the music as well as the costuming. I mean, I wear a, a full on blonde wig. You know, I cover all my tattoos with like stage makeup like special tattoo covering stage makeup and wow. a blouse and and i've got i've got the bell bottoms and you know we i got the whole the whole thing and, uh-huh. and and you know you layer those things on and then yeah i mean that's that's not me you know and even even i tend to not when i'm normally performing with any band like bloodiest or yakuza or my solo stuff i i'm not really into banter to be honest with you. i don't like to talk i don't like to talk between songs i just want to like keep playing the music but zeppelin too, I, I I feel obligated. I have to I have to say some things, you know. Um, do, and do you employ that, again, a British accent? I go in and out. I, I kind of I kind of play okay. that just to, right. to be funny. To be funny. So yeah, uh-huh. I guess I will. Because like some some days I I can hit it and some days I can't. So you know yeah. it's like you know. But uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I will. Really depending on the mood. But also I'll I'll fall out of it. People will, like we do after show like meet and greets and they'll be like oh man it's hilarious like halfway through the show you like dropped your british accent i'm like yeah they're like oh this guy's totally from chicago ha 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 you know like you know and so like people get a little a little laugh out of it. no one ever gets upset like i i can't believe you fell out of your british accent i'm like I- i'm sorry you know <laughs> so theatrical but not method acting yeah 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 totally exactly yeah. so yeah that's the and, and yeah I'll, I'll ham up some of the the plant moves a little bit just you know just for a good laugh you know, for everybody's sake, you know, it's like, just, it's all about having a good time for that, you know, and yeah, that yeah. for that experience. And, but we are dead serious about the music. We want that yeah. to be as, as it's always a work in progress and I wouldn't do it any other way. It's got to be as close as it can be or forget mm-hmm. it. Like I don't, I don't want to, you know, half-ass it. It's not worth it. You know, on Friday, January 13th and 14th, Led Zeppelin two celebrates the 50th anniversary of the re- of the release of Houses of the Holy uh, at Chicago's House of Blues. The band will perform that classic album in its entirety, uh, along with uh, Led Zeppelin IV the, on the 13th, right? And then you, and then on the 14th, you go yep. to uh, Houses, Houses yep. of the Holy. Yep. Okay, you are you are correct. You are correct. All right, visit uh, boxofficeticketsales.com, House of Blues, Chicago. If you can't remember that, I'll post it in the notes below. Don't write it down. I will have a, a nice and easy link for you. Find Bruce Lamont's music at brucelamont.bandcamp.com. I'll also post uh, post links to to the other bands that you're you're in. Um, Thanks, thank you, man. Thank you. This was oh. this was really. I, I was really looking forward to this conversation um, all week. It, it was this was a, a a perfect cap to a great a great week. Thanks so much. I appreciate. It. I I, I thoroughly enjoyed having a conversation with you and i would love to do it again sometime absolutely guaranteed all right buddy uh, we will talk to you again uh very soon (laughs) 
I'd like to thank Bruce Lamont for being my guest today, and thanks to all of you for listening. If you like this program, please feel free to share it, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button below. Links to our guests and all of their projects will also be in the notes below. For Playtime, I'm W.C. Turk. You'll be